All right, Alexander, let's do a Q&A from the live stream that we had with Mike Jones from I Earl Grey. And let's start things off with Dominique, who says, I can't believe they are saying they are going to confront China together with Russia. Apart from the ominous military aspect, it would be a total economic catastrophe. The West, which is broke, will finally collapse. Or is it the reason? If so, God help us. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would be complete stupidity. And by the way, there's been a report to the British cabinet um, that Britain is not ready for any kind of economic war with China. If we get into that, the British economy, which is already in a very bad shape, it implodes. And I'm sure lots of people are you know, passing on this advice all across Western governments. But you know, you're, you're not dealing, and this is the thing to understand, you're not always dealing with rational people. I've just been reading in Foreign Affairs, which is a, you know, mainstream, respectable magazine on foreign policy published in the United States, not to be confused with foreign policy, which is its rival and sister, if you like. Long piece by Robert Kagan, chief ideologue of the neocons, husband of Victoria Nuland. And, of course, he's absolutely all up for taking on the Chinese, taking on the Iranians, taking on the Russians, backing Ukraine. And he says, if we do that, we have a free world for the taking. That's what he says. So there it is. I mean, you know, that's the kind of mindset those people have. And if there are a few people around in the West, in the WEF and all the rest, who think, you know, this is all, you know, a, a, a great idea. Let's implode the Western economies. <laughs> you know, we'll benefit from the chaos. I repeat what I always say. That is just another form of madness because nobody who sows chaos ever reaps any benefit from doing it. That is the absolute lesson of history. Some people in the end come through but it's never the people who initiated it, whatever they may think. Ernest Gibson, thank you for that super chat. Valley S, thank you for that super sticker. Ernest Gibson, thank you again for that super sticker. Robert Patterson, thank you for that super sticker. Peter Orinkse, thank you for that super chat. Commander Crossfire says, Rockstar Mike, amazing work you've been doing in the Donbass, delivering humanitarian goodies and bringing light to the people suffering there and their strength and resilience. You rock, Masha too. Thank you for that. Commander Crossfire, Mark Hewitt says, Mike, are you surprised that you have not been sanctioned by the UK government? Mike answered that. I think we answered that one. Yeah, he answered that one, yeah. 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 Uh, Mario, thank you for that super sticker. Sanjeva says, good day, Mike. How is it in Russia? How is the general mood? My wife is Russian. We live in Australia, and she doesn't tell me anything, so I have to ask you. Mike, yes, well, I think we well. discussed that at length, actually. Yeah, you know, uh, mood is good, as far as I can tell, and that's what uh, that's what we were told. That's what Mike was telling us. Yeah. Respergo, uh, thank you for that super sticker. Uh, do it your own way. Thank you for that super chat. Private R says, good day, guys. When do you think a witch hunt will start for Russian nationals and generally Russian-speaking people living in the West? 21st century McCarthyism. Thank you. Well, we, we did we did talk about this and I, I I made the point and I want to make it again. This isn't exactly McCarthyism because McCarthyism was about finding spies. I mean, you know, uh, uh, whereas targeted 
discrimination against Russians and hunting down Russians. I mean, it's more like a witch craze, in my opinion, but it's already ongoing. I have seen some signs of it ebbing in Britain. I think there is, um, you know, I, I, I get, I, I hear Russian spoken more often now in London, for example, on the streets than was the case a few months ago. And you don't get the kind of reactions that apparently used to happen when people did. But, you know, that's not because some people aren't trying. You still get a very, very heavy anti-Russian atmosphere at, at all levels. And uh, concerts of Russian music, very difficult, for example, nowadays. Um, M, M. Du Sabanda, thank you for that super sticker. Uh, different perspective, thank you for that super sticker. Commando Crossfire says, if you can persuade people that what they have seen with their eyes is what there is to see, you've got, you've got them, because they'll laugh in your face of an explanation which portrayed the big picture of what's happening, and they have. That's a very good point, actually. It's a very astute point. I mean, who was it? I think it was Jesus himself who said, you know, they are the most blind who will not see. If you can persuade people that something is true and in, get them to internalize it, make it a part of their belief system and mindset, it is an enormously difficult thing to persuade them to change their mind and to rethink their basic assumptions. Now, you know, I, my, my wife's family is, on her mother's side, is German. And I know several of them. I used to know several of them. They've, they've all been quietly passing away from the wartime generation. And some of them really did truly believe the ideology that they, uh, that they were, you know, instilled into them in the 1930s and 40s, especially the younger ones. And they believed all the things that they were being told about the war and the progress of the war and all of that. And it became very much, as I said, part of their mindset. And it took them years, so they tell me, after the war to rethink all their basic assumptions. But when they eventually did, I mean, the disillusionment became total. And thereafter, those they became some of the most sceptical and realistic and, by the way, good and decent people I have ever met. So it does happen. But I think you've made a very, very good point. And it's obviously the challenge we all face. Nick uh, Mastilovich says, very nice to see you again together. All the best in 2023. Thank you for that, Nick. Uh, Sanjeeva says, to think all this is because some Soviet idiotic leaders didn't respect Russia and its original borders. Half of Ukraine would have remained with Russia if not for Lenin. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the point that uh, Putin has made, and he's made it, and it's a very good point. And by the way, the same was true of Yugoslavia. I mean, the, you know, the, the extent to which the obsessive way in which people in Kiev, you know, who talk about, you know, Ukraine and Ukrainian independence and their Western supporters insist on defending what were internal Soviet administrative borders is astonishing. Now, I, I, I think I would make one point about this. I mean, all right, Lenin himself was a extraordinary person, a visionary, he had all kinds of utopian and fantastic and sometimes very dangerous and disastrous ideas, like, you know, drawing borders in this kind of way. And he did seem generally believe in some kind of 
global federation of communist states of which the Soviet Union would be the core. But other Soviet leaders simply saw these as administrative boundaries because they never really imagined that the Soviet Union would ever break up. So they never really thought that transferring, you know, Crimea from Russia to Ukraine, for example, had any major significance. Well, they were wrong. But I mean, we have imported a significance into these decisions of people like Khrushchev, which is just ridiculous and just inhuman. <laughs> we are we are not looking at this in a right perspective at all. And yes, you're right in what you say, but we should not in the West be perpetuating these ed errors and compounding them, which is exactly what we do. Uh, Nigel Wink says, Alex, can you please say, Justin, you idiot? <laughs> mm -hmm. Justin, you idiot. <laughs> uh, A dangerous see. idiot, Tyler by the way. Says, yeah, it's true. Uh, Tyler Durden says the United West is a facade kept together by the petrodollar and the U.S. military power. Why else would they need to destroy pipelines and pressure Germany like this? Absolutely, completely true. And of course, uh, um, a uh, a facade which cloaks all kinds of problems, you know, growing beneath it, and which makes, of course, the people who run this even more reckless and dangerous in what they do. We did many programs about the attacks on the Nord Stream pipelines. There's a very interesting article, by the way, just come out in the London Times, which says that German investigators are now open to the possibility that a Western state, they won't say which Western state, carried out the attacks on Nord Stream, on the Nord Stream pipelines. Big admission. So, you know, that shows how reckless these people are becoming when they're prepared to do a thing like that. Bear in mind that Germany had closed the Nord Stream pipelines in effect. So blowing them up, what does it show? It shows that whoever did this thing doesn't trust Germany. They don't trust each other. Jeff Pickford says, you are superb people. I feel there is hope for humanity from your exemplary discussions. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Guy Leb, thank you for that super sticker. Imre Kalman says, Russian artillery doesn't take prisoners, unlike the Durant shop, 10% off when you use the code good day. Thank you for that, Imre. Uh, Paulina Sapko says, big thanks to all of you for your support and hard work. Super thanks to Mike, John, and Masha for all the energy and joy they help bring to kids, rock stars. Thanks. Thank you for that, Paulina. Commander Crossfire says, Mike, I heard Russia was taking kids out from the Donbass to summer with their camps and vacations in Russia. Is this the case? Are you able to speak to this? Uh, Mike addressed this. Mike did address this, absolutely, yes. He did. And uh, Commander Crossfire asked, Mike, have you noticed any tension between the locals in Donbass and all the workers' troops brought in from across Russia? Any culture clashes or such? Mike also addressed this well, as well. I addressed this as well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do, do you have something to add or? No, I mean, I, I, I you know, follow the news here quite very closely. I, I get no sense of any cultural or other clashes at all. At this moment in time, there wouldn't be anyway, because it's a war and that brings people together. It doesn't drive them apart when they're facing the kind of conflict that these people are facing. 
uh, Commander Crossfire says, we've seen Ukraine troops use uh, Nazi symbols on their uniforms and vehicles and such. Now there will be Nazi symbols on German tanks on Russian soil. Vladimir Putin has made exactly that very same point over the course of the celebrations that are taking place in uh, the city of Volgograd, formerly Stalingrad, commemorating the Stalingrad victory. And he said, who would have ever thought it that we'd be fighting German tanks again with these sorts of symbols on our own territory? Sanjeva says, Mike, when I was in Russia in 2018, I found Russians had reverence for everything Western and a bit of inferiority complex. Has it changed now? Do they have more self-esteem? Well, I think, again, Mike, Mike uh, uh, responded to that, and he said that it has changed and is changing, and that's also my experience. Uh, Daithi, thank you for that super, super chat. Danielle says, Mike, you would not have been allowed into the Australian Open with that T-shirt in this crazy world. Having a T-shirt with a Z or a Russian flag is deemed offensive. Go, Djokovic. Mm -hmm. I think we discussed all that know. too. Yeah. Absolutely the case. We discussed yeah. that. And, and Djokovic did win. And Djokovic did <laughs> win. Did. Alice in yeah. uh, Blunderland says, I haven't been around for a while, but I hope you lads had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Here's a belated Christmas pressy donation. Long overdue. Enjoy the present. Thank you very much. Oh, Alice. thank you very much for that. And you're, we're, we're delighted to see you again. And, and uh, you know, you've been one of our most consistent. <laughs> Um, members of our community and longest standing members of our community and we greatly value your input at all times. Life of Brian says, imagine if Elensky got Kamala's nukes. Well, it doesn't bear thinking about. I mean, it's a horrifying idea. Um, and by the way, I mean, you know, I've been seeing some people, I was Michael Rubin, I think, who another you know, he was a Bush administration official, Bush, Bush two administration official. And he's coming up and saying, you know, that Ukraine should be allowed to have its own nukes. Now, you know, Putin, when he announced the uh, decision to recognize the two republics, the Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics, he talked at length about the danger of um, Ukraine acquiring nukes after the kind of things that Zelensky said at the Munich Security Conference. I have read any number of people say he was paranoid, he was making it all up, it's all nonsense. Putin doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, here you see, former US administration official comes along, says Ukraine should have nukes. Life of Brian, oh no, I just answered that. Uh, Rafik Adam says, great podcast. Any update on Dr. E. Michael Jones? Uh, no update yet, no update yet. Thank you, Rafik, for that. Uh, Andrea Mayob says the relationship between state and media is like never before. Indie journalism has filled the gap. Alternatives like RT are suppressed. How will corporate media deal with the growth of the independence? Well, my own personal view is that despite all of the attempts at suppression and whatever that you see happening, I think that the legacy media is living on borrowed time. I, I was reading a long, I mean, absurdly overlong article uh, in published by the Col Col Columbia School of Journalism 
or whatever it's called, it calls itself, um, uh, journalism review, whatever it was, about Russiagate. And it describes how faith in the media in the United States has now collapsed. The people tended overall to trust it before all that trust has gone. I've seen that CNN's ratings are going through the floor again. I think they're living on borrowed time. But that doesn't mean that, you know, they won't do everything they possibly can to try to retain their control. And, you know, that's something we always need to worry about. And, you know, there's going to be a long battle ahead. It's, you know, far from over. But in the end, as I said, I, I think that there would have to be a complete reorganization of the way in which the media works for the legacy media to survive. And they would need to rethink their positions, which they show absolutely no sign of doing. Lorraine Almark says, my three favorite and excellent presenters. Thanks, guys. Thank you for that, Lorraine. Uh, Jock Ridge, thank you for that. Super sticker. Rafik Adams says, any thoughts on how Ukraine war will finally end? There's been many, many scenarios outlined i mean there's one possible one and i think this is this is for me actually in in the end the most likely is that at some point the russians will break through they'll probably reach the dnieper i guess you know when i say the dnieper i mean of course they already are along the dnieper in Kherson region but i think further north around Dnipro, perhaps further north still i think at this point there's going to be you know all kinds of problems in the west there's pressures now People are saying this war has to end soon. The U.S. seems to be, some people in the U.S. are saying prolonged war doesn't work in our interests. We need to end this war quickly. I can imagine some kind of fake negotiation going on. I say fake negotiation. A bit like the ones that happened towards the end of the Vietnam War in Paris between the United States and Russia. Some kind of agreement being reached. And then what's left of Ukraine will just collapse. <laughs> that's that's my own personal. That's one scenario which I think is a plausible one, and I think it's becoming more plausible now. It's a it's a scenario which I think we need to explore more fully in a dedicated program. But that's just one. There are other possibilities. You know, the war will just go on, and the Russians will trundle all the way to the western border, which is possible too. Kiev falls. And, you know, they trundle all the way to the western border. They, there's another one, some kind of partition between Russia and Poland. These are all possible scenarios. But for the moment, I'm starting to think that some kind of fake negotiation, fake on both sides, because the Americans are just going to look for some way to get out. The Russians will just be making it easier for the Americans to get out, just very much like the Paris negotiations, as I said in the early 70s. That's, it seems to me, one possible scenario amongst many. Andrew Cole says, hey, Alexander, that bridge you sold me is missing the bits that go up and down to let ships pass through. Can I have a refund? Oh, oh well, there you go. I mean, yeah, I've got, you know, just, just uh, uh, send me the, uh, the receipt for the bridge and you'll get your refund. <laughs> Rafiq Adam says, has the massive winter offensive begun? No, I don't think so. In fact, um, I've been seeing a whole host of commentaries about this. 
We've discussed this on the Duran before. The Russians are keeping everybody guessing. They're keeping the West on tenterhooks. But there's been a, a recent report in The Guardian of all places saying that, you know, Western uh, intelligence people are getting more and more concerned because they see all kinds of activity on various front lines in the South, in the North, in the East and everywhere. Uh, they're always asking themselves whenever, you know, the Russians make a move, is this the big offensive? But they've decided overall, specifically, this is about Bugledar in the south, that this isn't the big offensive yet, that the Russians are still shaping the battlefield and are still working their preparations out. I only emerge after dark says, how can Russian cities protect from rocket drones? Well, I, they have the best air defense system in the world. I think this is going to be given a high priority. We've seen the air defenses being built up around Moscow. I think the Russians will find a way. And, of course, every so often something will possibly get through and it'll be embarrassing. But all it's going to do, especially if casualties arise, which unfortunately they may, it's going to harden Russian opinion. It's going to make the Russians even more determined to see this thing through to the end, because then they will be convinced that Ukraine really is the kind of threat that Putin says it is. Dr. Liliana Corridor, thank you for that super chat. Rafik Adams says, does the West provision tanks, planes, presume sending NATO troops to operate them? How else would it work otherwise? Well, that's, a, that's the question that everybody's making. I mean, Brian Boletic is saying it, for example. He says, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely absurd to think that you can get uh, um, um, Ukrainians to train up to the level where they can operate these things properly. Um, Germany's now talking about a five-week training program for Leopard 2s. I mean, you don't send people into battle on a five-week training program. It takes about a year to train a tanker up to the level that they know and understand fully how to operate a tank like that. And it would take five years. The British government has said five years to get Ukrainian fighter pilots up to the level that they could operate F-16s, for example. So for the moment, all Western governments are saying we're not going to send our own people there, not, not as volunteers, not as anything. But... If they go on sending these weapons and the Russians burn through these weapons, will that hold? We'll see. The one thing I will say is the more people they send, the more people die, Westerners die, because they will, and they, I mean they are already, the more of a reaction it creates. Um, I gather that in Poland, for example, when there's lots of Polish volunteers who have been sent to Ukraine, the exodus from the Ukraine, uh, Polish military is now reaching critical levels because people don't want to be sent to Ukraine to die. Commander Crossfire says, in your observation, Mike, what's the general feeling towards those that fled Russia during the mobilization or the still active liberal part of society? I don't remember what, what Mike, Mike said. I think he, well, he did, he did, yeah. He answered that, yeah. He did answer that, yeah. He did. Uh, Istavan, 1955, thank you for that super... Chat Alexander Wodyachev says, have you heard of a possible independence referendum in Texas? And if so, is there an update? 
Well, I've heard of that sort of thing. Right. It comes up every so often. I haven't heard a recent update. I mean, I don't think it's happening. I don't think that Texas is going to secede from the union anytime soon. And I think things would have to be, I mean, not just extremely bad, but far worse than they are now before we get to that point. I think for the moment, that's not on the horizon. And perhaps we shouldn't speculate about that for the, for the present, because, as I said, in order for us to get to the point where things like that happen, things have to be so bad that that's what we need to worry about or think about rather than a Texas referendum. Rafik Adams, if Western support continues, does Russia face choice of endless war against Western Ukraine or full annexation of Ukraine? Example, Chechnya. Well, who knows? I mean, you know, I, I, again, I, I don't know what is being discussed at the highest levels in Moscow. And I'm sure those discussions are taking place, by the way. But um, it could very well be that we will end up in a situation where the Russians feel that they have to occupy Western Ukraine. I don't think that's what they want to do. Certainly, I don't think that's what they intended at the start of this conflict. But, you know, we're in a constantly evolving situation. I think the Russians are thinking about what they're going to do constantly, all the time. And I think that, you know, we might end up end in that scenario. But at the moment, I don't think we can say definitely that it's going to come to pass or, or necessarily foresee it. Four souls says, Alex, for once, please tell us something positive about Estonia. Love you guys. Oh, I can say, look, we can say lots of good things about it. I mean, I've never been there, but I, I, I'm told it's a beautiful place. I'm told Tallinn is a beautiful town. I, I, you know, that there's, um, um, you know, that they've done lots of things. I mean, apparently it's the, the internet, the, the, you know, the digitalization is extraordinary. I mean, on a, on the scale that is better than anywhere else in the world. Estonia, small place, obviously, but it would have lots of good things going for it. It's mistake, and that of all of the Baltic states, is that they've defined themselves to this extraordinary, extreme degree against Russia. That is a disastrous, tragic error for Estonia, because one day... I say this with absolute confidence. They're going to find that the United States is far away and the Russians are still there on their doorstep and very angry with Estonia indeed. And that's a very, very bad call for Estonia. Alex Glanz says that Duran is the only clarity in the fog of war. God bless. Thank you, Alex, for that. A different perspective says my gas bill was three times more last month Wife thought it was a leak. I said, no, we are a war economy. Yeah, it's going to be the same in Britain in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Summer of 1970, thank you for that super sticker. Yo, Bressler, thank you for that super chat. Uh, Charles of London says, is the escalation of supplies to Ukraine a golden opportunity for Iran, China, North Korea to profit, field test weapons and components on the battlefield through supplying Russia? Well, I think so. I mean, I think that's true of Iran. About what about what the others are doing? I don't know, but certainly the Iranians will be, you know, keeping a careful eye on what their drones are achieving 
on the Ukrainian battlefields, and they'll be quite pleased with it. Sparky says, I suppose the cast-off tanks could be a decoy. Well, they could be. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to try and game plan this. I, I, I've been watching the debates in the West. I, I think that this is too fevered an issue for it just to be a decoy. Sparky asks, seems like the West is using Poland to get ready for a sort of combination D-Day Bay of Pigs to retake Ukraine. Yeah, possibly. And does Poland want to be put in that position? Or rather, maybe not Poland. Do Polish people want to be put in that position, that they're being used in the way that Ukraine has been used? Look at what's happened to Ukraine. I know Polish people who are deeply distressed and frightened and worried about what's happened to Ukraine, that it might happen to Poland too. And I hope more and more people in Poland ask themselves those questions. Ricardo Alfonso, thank you for that super sticker. David Lazarus says, Biden reminds me of Croesus, king of Lydia. He was told by prophecy that he would destroy a great empire should he go to war. His own empire was destroyed. Exactly. That's a very famous uh, episode from Greek, um, from Greek, ancient Greek history. And um, it was so long, the... Um, <laughs> The Greek, um, the Athenian politician who gave so uh, who gave him all kinds of warnings, Croesus, all sorts of warnings. You know that you know, call no man happy until he is dead, and it was the Oracle of Delphi that gave Croesus that rather, you know, double-edged advice. From Tabernacle. All the while, China-like Frodo hesitating at Mount Doom. I don't know that they're hesitating. I, I'd say on the contrary that they're waiting and rubbing their hands with glee because everything that's happening in Ukraine is working to their advantage. Paulie, thank you for that super sticker. Summer of 1970 says, seems the whole world is whistling past the graveyard. Well, I don't think the whole world is. I think I think some people are. Unfortunately, some people seem so obsessed with their geopolitical strategies that um, they don't seem able to see beyond them. I've mentioned this article by Robert Kagan. I mean, it's really quite extraordinary. I mean, he could have written this thing 20, 30 years ago. I mean, it's it's like... You know, everything that's happened, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, whatever, they haven't really happened. Yeah, I mean, he even says, you know, forever wars. So let's use those phrases. And there's a small amount of money that's been used in these wars. And I mean, it's just I mean, I found it surreal stuff and really very concerning that there's still that there's a person like that. Not so much that he exists and things like that, but he's able to get his pieces published in places like Foreign Affairs and that his wife, who shares his views, has such a prominent position in the U.S. government. Cool Roy says, why does neither side want peace? This war is not helping anyone except war profiteers. Well, can I just say something? You say both sides, the Russians would say, that they bent over backwards to achieve peace. They negotiated the Minsk agreement. They tried endlessly to get the Minsk agreement to work. Last year, they offered all kinds of draft treaties to try and get it work. 
And of course, what we now hear is people like Merkel and Hollande and Poroshenko chortling about the fact that the Minsk agreement was never intended seriously. And Kirill Budanov, Ukraine's own intelligence chief, saying that the negotiations that took place last year in March and in, Ist in Istanbul, uh, they were all just basically stringing the Russians along. So, you know, don't say both sides. I think one side has generally and sincerely sought peace. The other side has not. And that's the tragedy. Good. Braugach1001, thank you for that super sticker. Vascom, Vascomprende says, won't it be a good idea for Russia just to let Western Ukraine go to Poland and let Poles and Bandera-loving Ukrainians fight each other and leave Russia alone? I think that was certainly a thought that some people, including perhaps Putin, had. I mean, Putin made some really rather interesting remarks a few weeks ago about the fact that Stalin took Polish territory after, you know, in, in, in 1939, and he quoted uh, a deputy of the Imperial State Duma before the First World War. He said, if you want to lose Ukraine, attach Galicia to it. And I, I, I thought those were signals that Putin was telling the Poles, look, if you want Western Ukraine, you can have it. I, I, I'm starting to get doubts about that as well now. I think latest comments from Moscow suggest that they don't particularly want to see the Poles going into Western Ukraine. But, you know, I, I don't know how this is going to work out. And what you've outlined remains, it seems to me, one possible scenario amongst many. There might be some kind of implicitly agreed partition. Who knows? Ricardo Alfonso says, each war is an isolated case, has its own logic, requires understanding of its own logic and unique character. This is completely true. This is exactly true. But at the same time, war being war, they do have certain aspects in common. And this is a point made by Thucydides all those thousands of years ago. Um, wars, you know, the, the, each is unique in itself, but there is a kind of generic quality to them also. Holly says that Duran is very, very popular in the Netherlands. Oh, that's, that's interesting to learn. And thank you for that. And, you know, given you know, how important the Netherlands has proved to be and the very hard line that the current Netherlands government is taking. Well, that's also very interesting and good to know. Ricardo Alfonso says that was said by Alexander Svetchin, by the way. Oh, OK. Jura Maladits, Jura Maladits. These are kicks of a dying horse, and surely Europe will regain independence. Yes, I think it will at one point. Putin, by the way, has said exactly the same, that there will come a point when Europe will, the nations of Europe will regain independence. Will re, I mean, it's inconceivable that Europe, Europe will just remain in this awful way forever. But we live in the moment and we might get there in the end, but we have to live through that moment 
that we're in now and that may take years to work its way through in terms of historical time that may not be very long in terms of the life of individuals that can be a very long time indeed uh, Felich says glad to catch you live Alex and Alexander keep up the good work thank you for that uh, Angel Messenger thank you for that super sticker Roman V says great job gents keep going Seri Yaha, thank you for that super sticker. Lover of the Russian team says, glory to Russia and the Russian Federation. Stay strong. Seri Yaha, thank you again for that super sticker. Arthur Tuzot said, would the Dnieper be the next front line to be reached by Russia? Would Poland secure Lviv and Galicia? You know, this is a very good question. I, I, I do think that... Uh, you know, assuming there is some kind of Russian push, and you know, it may take many different forms. It may be, you know, from many directions. It may be, you know, incremental. Who knows? But I, I think that the Russians will advance up to the Dnieper, and then I think they probably will stop, because, for one very simple reason, which is logistical, which is that moving beyond the Dnieper will stretch their supply lines. I think they would first of all want to build up their logistics they want to build even you know if they plan to move beyond the, the Dnieper I think you know there would there would be a pause there would be a period in the war when they would stop and you know they might that might provide some kind of time space for negotiations but I have to say this I've been looking carefully now at the economic and human geography of Ukraine. And I don't think the Dnieper is a viable border. I think the idea that any kind of Ukraine can exist if the Russians reach the Dnieper and annex everything to the east of it is, is simply impossible. It would mean that places like Kiev, Dnipro, Kremenchuk, Poltava, would be in effect frontline cities, and I think I think it's it would not be a viable state to be to say it straightforwardly. So let's assume Poland takes Western Ukraine. I think what's left of Ukraine, west of the Dnieper, would very rapidly fall into Russian hands at that point, because it wouldn't be economically and uh, um, systemically viable. That's my view. Ricardo Alfonso says, told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Macbeth, a summary of the speeches by Western leaders. Yeah, we, we discussed that actually. R Ricardo, Alf yeah. Ricardo Alfonso, would Mike do a collab walk and talk with Sergei Baklikov? He is in St. Petersburg. Yes, I think, they, I think Mike just well, answered that one. Yeah. Um, Sparky says, perhaps Russia will sell or donate Galicia to Poland on the condition that it doesn't remain Ukraine and is absorbed into Poland. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, as I said, these are all plausible scenarios, but one can't predict them, not at the present time. William Sasanto says, reason Soros goes to Munich next month to declare World War III. Mm. 
I, 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 we, we discussed this over the course of the program, a very ominous thing. And as I said, we have this series of meetings that takes place all the way leading up to the Munich Security Conference. And um, the trouble is all these Western leaders work each other up over the course of these meetings and things could turn out very badly. And throwing in Soros there, given his known views, is to throw fire onto the dynamite. Debao, the Black Panther, says, truth tellers with no filter. Where would we be without voices like the Durant, Scott Ritter, Colonel Douglas McGregor, and Jimmy Dore and others? Shame on the American media. Zariel says, I.O. Gray, thank you for joining us again and making the Durant an even better place for real news with quality content. Good day, gents. Thank you, Zariel. Charles of London says, is the escalation of supplies to Ukraine a golden opportunity for Iran, China, North Korea to profit, field, test weapons and components on the battlefield through supplying Russia? We actually answered. I think we have super chat earlier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. th th thank you for that, Charles. Wayne Hall says the escalation will end with Biden's removal. I think that's highly possible. I, that's a very real possibility. I mean, to be very clear about this, if there's a debacle in Ukraine, a really big Vietnam style, debacle, you know, American personnel being evacuated from the embassy on helicopters, by the way, by no means an implausible end to this conflict. Biden won't survive this. I mean, that's that, that at that point, he's gone. And of course, already, one one is starting to hear the murmurings, and the pressures are building. So it's entirely possible that you're right. Jan, thank you for that super chat. Atmos, thank you for that super chat. Wendy Sheets, thank you for that super sticker. Sparky says, seems like the U.S. is forcing NATO to clean out their closet, so they need to go shopping at the U.S. Military Industrial Complex Mall, a primary goal. Yeah, I think that's probably true, um, except that it's happening too fast. <laughs> this, this is the thing. I mean, I was reading this morning that Britain has no longer has self-propelled howitzers because they've given them all to Ukraine. And the problem is the United States would love to sell Britain self-propelled howitzers, but it doesn't have any to spare. You see, the point is that this is happening at a far faster burn rate than the U.S. military industrial complex can sustain itself. The CSIS, that famous report that we've talked about in several programs now, that's essentially the point it was making. Elsa says, how many ghosts of Kiev are necessary to fly those F-16s? We talked about that. I, I read again, British government, this is the British government, mind, are saying that it takes 35 weeks to train a F-16 pilot. 35 weeks. But of course, if you can find ghosts and spirits and all of those things, well, you don't need those kind of pilots because, of course, the, the ghosts can do it for you. Sparky says the Munich Security Conference will be a good time for Kamala to look presidential. She had such an impact last year. Yes, we discussed this as well. And I mean, I'm afraid, again, that's another thing to worry about going forward and think about going forward. Riffy says, Riffy says, Whitney Webb said 
the deep state is preparing for a terrorist attack to gain control and tie it to the MAGA movement. You may be right. I don't, or rather Whitney may be right. I don't know. I mean, I, we, we don't have information like that. I, I, I will say if, they, if anybody's thinking of these terrible things, then, I mean, things are really bad in the United States. And I think at that point, we really can start to talk about scenarios which could lead to civil wars, partitions, that kind of thing, because that would be an act of unspeakable violence um, just to discredit a political opponent within the United States. But, you know, people have, the people we're talking about have done some extreme things already. Simon Kay, what's happening in Kaliningrad? Not much news. No, and, you know, bear in mind, a couple of months ago, there was all sorts of talk about Kaliningrad, attempts to, you remember, to cut off Kaliningrad, economic blockades on the place. Russians gave all kinds of warnings. The Germans got cold feet. All of that was cooled off. At the moment, it's an uneasy peace. But I gather that Russians are re-equipping, strengthening, fortifying Kaliningrad. And one mustn't assume that this is a stable situation at all. And there are rumours, many, many rumours, that if it comes to an escalation, in Ukraine, if Western troops enter Ukraine, that the Russians will counter via the Baltic states as well, and that they will go all the way to Kaliningrad. In other words, that they will establish a land corridor via the Baltic states to Kaliningrad. And, you know, Alex and I have had that advice from somebody who, you know, has military experience. Alex knows whom I mean. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. It's a plausible scenario to me if we ever get into these kind of crisis positions. Andrew Novak says, I wouldn't be surprised to see a false flag support for war is, is flagging in the U.S. as looming government shutdowns threaten. Well, who knows? I mean, I would be surprised. I hope it doesn't happen. I wouldn't be surprised, though. I don't think it will happen. Matt Lissack says, Kaiser Wilhelm in the book Guns of August was called the least inhibited tongue in Europe. After yesterday's comments, Annalena Baerbach has him beat. Yeah, true enough. I, I, I did. In and fact, oh, it's a good point. I mean, Wilhelm, the Kaiser, whatever he was, I mean, he was a, he was a political genius compared <laughs> to Annalena Baerbach. OG, well, thank you for that super sticker. And that is everything. Thank you for all of the questions for this live stream with Mike Jones from IO Gray.